everyone and welcome to episode 36 of the Retrospectives podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and I'm joined as always by my co-host James Sterlings. How are you going on this chilly night, James? Oh, excellent. I'm wrapped up in my uh, recording blankets as always and uh, kind of pity all the other people out there in the uh, oddly chilly uh, Australian evening. Yeah, your ridiculous mattress studio that I refuse to uh, use, despite <laughs> it my gets inferior better sound, sound quality. quality all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whereas I'm uh, exposed to the elements sitting on my chair, but at least uh, I don't look as ridiculous. Well, at least I sound good. They can't see as Patrick. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> Um, this fortnight, we are, of course, doing Freelancer. Freelancer was released in 2003 for Windows. It was developed by Digital Anvil and published by Microsoft Game Studios. The title was first announced by Chris Roberts, uh, most notable for his Star Citizen fame. Although he didn't end up going on to be the main person behind development, he ended up moving to more of a consultancy role. The game had a bit of a troubled development, but at first at least, he was in charge of the project. It's a sequel to a 2000 title called Star Lancer, although it's fairly dramatically different and it takes place 800 years after. So playing the, the 2000 prequel is uh, hardly necessary. We are, of course, the Retrospectives podcast. Each and every fortnight, James and I play through a classic game from start to finish, and then we have an in-depth discussion of it on this podcast. We haven't talked about the game at all beforehand, so we can bring you our fresh discussions completely off the top of our heads, well, with some notes as well. Uh, The way we approach these reviews and discussions is that we're not super interested in the context of which these games were released. We purely want to know how good these games are today. So you can find all of our content at rspodcast.net, including this podcast. And uh, we've reviewed many, many, many games over the past year and a half. So you're sure to find more quality content there. First thing we need to talk about is a little housekeeping issue, actually, because the thing about Freelancer, like uh, a couple of games we've covered now, um, we did Tribes Vengeance uh, recently, which was in a similar boat. There is no legal way to acquire Freelancer unless you can somehow find an original box copy. It's abandonware. So you can get the game completely for free and download it. It's not available to buy at good old games or Steam or anything like that. So we'll pop a link to that in the description. So, uh, James, did you um did you install any mods or anything to get this game running? Because I just installed the link and it seemed to work just fine. Um, Not too much. When I was looking when we were installing this game originally, I did note that this game had a you know, pretty prolific modding community surrounding it. So there is actually a lot of extra content um, for this game floating out on the web. But all I really did was install some basic fixes and, you know, a a widescreen fix so I could play it, you know, at full size on my monitor. And that worked really well. Um, But other than that, I didn't nabble too much. Did you end up installing that? Yeah, 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 I did. I I forgot it for the moment. But yeah, there is a, um, (laughs) there there are two main patches. One's primarily for multiplayer and one's for single player. James and I just played the single player portion of this game. So we just downloaded that fix. Not the um, not the multiplayer patch, 
And as far as I can tell, everything ran perfectly smoothly. But um, apart from that, we were playing the vanilla version of this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did you have any problems getting the game to work on your machine? I had no technical issues. Nothing? Yeah, me neither. Following the instructions I found online, it, you know, it worked like a charm first try. And I didn't have any, like, weird crashes or bugs or anything that kind of marred the experience from a technical point of view. It really is a delight when these games just work. <laughs> we've, <Yeah. laughs> had, we've had so many issues with emulators and these like 90s uh, PC games in the past. To have a game work like this out of the box, pretty it's much. It's just so is, nice, yeah. It's just so and, nice. And uh, it, it being free is uh, also quite nice as well. Um, yeah, free with no guilt. <laughs> free with no guilt, yeah. And none of the, uh, none of the horrible technical bugs and uh, installation nightmare that we had with stuff like Red Alert 2, so... <laughs> yeah, that's always always appreciated. I think um what we'll do, James, before we get into the discussion, um I first want to ask why we're playing um Freelancer uh this fortnight. Because um it's a game I think I had vague memories of. I've never played it before, but I think I remember seeing a random review in a game magazine back when I owned uh stacks of those. Was there something in particular that made you want to revisit uh Freelancer? So Freelancer's actually a game I picked on a recommendation from a friend. Um, I was given this recommendation a while ago and had never really acted on it until a few episodes ago we did a game called Archimedean Dynasty, which kind of introduced me to my love of, you know, like dogfighting style games. Um, Archimedean Dynasty is technically set underwater, but it's basically the same thing. And after I loved that to bits, I was uh, super keen to give an actual space flight sim a go um, and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I was interested to come into this because I read a couple of um, early impressions of it just while I was randomly stumbling upon it. And the general sentiment was that this was like the most accessible flight sim ever released, really, at least up until that point. Um, it did a lot to move from joystick controls to uh, to like a mouse and keyboard kind of setup, which at the time was a novelty. So I was interested in playing a sim that was not quite as sim-like, if that makes sense. It seemed like a different approach. Let's be honest. So with our background in these kinds of games, I really haven't played too many like flight sim-style games until we did our episode in Archimedean Dynasty. And I think it's the same for you, right? Correct. Uh, it's a genre that um, that I'm not really well well versed in, unless you count System Shock as a sim, which, uh, <laughs> as we discussed in the previous episode, it's got it's got more in common with with a sim than you might think. So um, let's let's dive right in. So um, the premise of Freelancer is that, well, firstly, let's start with the background lore because you get a little bit of background lore to this game uh, in the opening uh, title screen animation that plays. So there was a war between two groups which were nebulously named the Alliance and the Coalition, which is, just let me make a side note, those are the two worst names worst for any names factions ever? I've yeah. ever heard. <laughs> just shows a distinct lack of imagination. Alliance 1 and Alliance 2. <laughs> Correct. So yeah. the coalition group uh, were winning, which I think is essentially, you know, the communists and the Arab nations. So what the Alliance did for some reason is they sent these five enormous like sleeper ships filled with people put into cryogenic sleep out to a distant star system so they could restart all over again. So they were like, yep, we're not going to win. So we're going to send five massive ships. They, they put all this money into developing these five massive ships 
to just restart all over because they couldn't possibly live under communist rule or whatever that uh, group of faction was. The ultimate strategy, run away. <laughs> <laughs> each, each one of these ships represented a different geographical block. So it was, there was the Americas, the Japanese, the Germans, the British, and I think the Spaniards, although the Spaniards aren't featured in this game. I don't quite know why. I don't know if they were planned for an expansion pack. Expansion packs were a big thing back in 2003. But uh, that that never eventuated. So it's four. It ends up being four geographical blocks. And I think the idea behind it was that each one of these ships would take upon them the cultural identity of those groups. And because they're headed to a star system, you know, a system with I think forty eight stars, it would allow for cultural diversity because each one of those ships would settle at a different star. And then they would naturally spread and mingle. There's not too much detail. This is just what I've kind of extrapolated. So all of that happened 800 years before the events of this game. That's just the background. So the game takes place in a, you know, sci-fi futuristic scenario where people are in spaceships traveling between these star systems with jump gates and everything. But it's nowhere near Earth. It's like a unique... Uh, sci-fi setting but one that still has the cultural trappings of a lot of these uh, earth nations so james what i would recommend is that we kind of go into the story of this game first and then we can expand into gameplay afterwards unless there's a particular aspect of gameplay you want to touch on first i think um the story is a good place to start primarily freelancer is a pretty story driven game i felt like a lot of the things you do um, are directly tied to what your goal is in the story. Um, so where did you want to start with it? So we'll start with the basic premise and then I'll give a spoiler warning and then we'll dive deep into the discussion of this story mm. and what works <laughs> with it and what doesn't. So yeah. the the basic premise is very simple. Um, you play as a freelancer named Trent and he's from the planet Leeds, which... Um, belongs to the Bretonian Empire. Each uh, star system uh, that is associated with, you know, the Britons and the Americans or whatever, it seems that each planet is named after one of the big cities from those nations. So he's from Leeds from the Bretonian Empire. He lands a once-in-a-lifetime deal that'll get him a million credits, but uh, as these things tend to go, it goes very poorly. The station where you were planning to execute this deal gets blown up by a mysterious force. You manage to escape and go back to Liberty, which is, of course, the American Empire. And uh, you manage to secure yourself a very crappy ship and 500 credits to get you started. And you have to kind of build your way up again from this... Uh, amazing opportunity to get a million creds instead you have 500 and you have to go from the bottom <laughs> up um along the way you get employed by uh juna who's with the cops basically like special investigative space cops and uh the missions you take on with her gradually and you know evolve into a mystery and a conspiracy and you become more and more embroiled with this plot as you go along so this is now your official spoiler warning. That's the basic premise. If you'd like to enjoy this game completely spoiler-free, then I'm afraid you'll need to skip ahead to the gameplay section. So, James, let's uh, dive right in. Uh, tell me, tell me first, what were your overall feelings on the story? Did you did you enjoy the story, or did you find it uh, a little simplistic? So, I'm of two minds about the story in this game. 
When I look inwards to my feelings on how I feel felt while playing the game, I felt that I enjoyed it somewhat. Um, however, when I put on my critic cap and think about the story bit by bit, there is very little good that I have to say about it overall. Um, and I think that a lot of my problems with the story in general of Freelancer is that most of the characters in this game are really dull, honestly. Um, there's basically no character development or, you know, weird themes that the game is trying to tackle. I don't think many of the characters interact in a very, in very interesting ways. I don't know how you felt about the characters, but to me, especially the main character came across as quite bland, honestly. You know, it's interesting because I think for once when it comes to story criticism, I'm maybe not going to be quite as harsh as you. I think that the the story of Freelancer is ultimately very simple. It's a very simple story. It's about, you know, a basic space adventure where you gather people along the way. But I think that for the most part, if you just evaluate it on that level, I think it's a good story. I was, as I was playing along, I was pretty enraptured with what was happening. Um, I think that the, the plot followed a good arc. And while I think that the characters were very simplistic, I think they were fairly well realized thanks to some pretty solid voice acting from most of the cast. So I agree with you that it's not like we're getting deep character studies. This is definitely a plot-driven story. I think it basically worked fine, and I was invested and involved with the simple premise of this story. I'm not to say that I disliked it as a whole. Like, to be completely honest, overall I enjoyed the story. Mm -hmm. But I did have a lot of little niggling issues with it that stopped it from kind of been a great story for me. I definitely wouldn't call this great. It was just enjoyable. I think um, my biggest issue with the story is how a lot of the progression feels very carrot on a sticky. There mm. is so much build up and build up and build up and build up for maybe like 80% of the story before you get any real, you know, relief or payoff for the audience, really. Like, uh, one of the things that happens very early on in the game is that the main two characters come across what's essentially, you know, the magical MacGuffin that uh, drives the entire plot forward. You find this ancient alien artifact that nobody knows what it is or, you know, what it's for. But for some reason, everybody in the universe seems to be trying to get it from you. So naturally, you want to know what it is. So your first step is to go is to fly off into this, you know, middle of nowhere observatory to find this scientist and ask him what it is. Basically, the scientist says, I have no idea go find this other scientist. And that happens, you know, a couple times in a row. You end up speaking to three or four different scientists before finally finding a scientist who has any idea what it could be. And even then, uh, he needs a lot of extra equipment and stuff before he can even begin into looking into it. You get this MacGuffin, chapter two of the story, and then only find out what it is in like the second half of the game, like 12 hours later. And I found it really frustrating to be led around the galaxy over and over to try and solve this one little plot point. So I thought that was, I think the premise is actually fine. Because it's this special space artifact, and no, you're no, picking I'm up fine. characters. I agree with you. I, I'm fine with the premise. Just the execution was really painful for me. So what I would say is that the problem with this whole scenario, and my main problem with the story, comes in the payoff, not the premise. 
there's not a problem with there being a mysterious space artifact that everyone seems to yeah. want to get. And there's no problem with it being difficult to get find the person to analyze it. The problem comes in the payoff, and the payoff is shitty parasitic aliens that are also robots with no seeming free will. When I first started playing Freelancer, I was convinced that this story was going to be great because it had all of these rumblings of this complicated political drama. Yes. I was reading the news stories that you find at all the bars, which indicated, like, internal political tension between the head of the military and the president. And then you start seeing... um international not international but you know you start seeing factional tensions between you know the germans and the americans with them interfering in certain sections of the space and there's all this work about war and i was really interested and invested to see how you got caught in the middle of this really complicated political web in the end it is literally mega robot bionic (laughs) aliens somehow controlling every single faction's move to become violent and aggressive towards one another. And that was a very unsatisfying payoff for me because I was it felt like I was promised this complex and really cool picture and instead I got this terrible, terrible payoff. I really dislike stories which um, create a whole bunch of factions at odds with each other and then like everybody has their own motives and their own reasons for being at war. Um, or for being, you know, politically aligned against each other. And then all of a sudden there was actually this hidden faction which was playing them off against each other, thus taking away Perfectly. their legitimate motivations to begin with, and they were actually on the same side all along. You know, it's just, it's kind of, they make you like all of these characters from both sides, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, it, it didn't matter. It was just this ancient evil or whatever. The enemies in question are called the Nomads, and um, it kind of reminded me of Archimedes' dynasty's Bionce, to be honest, in that they're just this super powerful alien force that's dropped at the end with no apparent motivations or anything. And they're not not ridden at all. They're just like, yep, their job is to kill all humans. It's like, all right, I guess that's all we get. I think the real problem is that, so apparently, uh, after reading up on it, that the ship that discovered the nomads that activated all these things happening happened literally two months ago. Yeah. And that really, really annoys me, James, because you know what? There's another series that I've, uh, I'm proud to have read the entirety of that has a <laughs> parasitic alien. And I feel it does the parasitic alien taking over society far better. Have you ever heard of the, uh, the gem that's called Animorphs? So, in Animorphs, one of my favorite series as a kid, there are these parasitic slugs slugs called the Yerks. And the Yerks, you know, they kind of go inside a person's brain and they can control that person. They assume their identity. um, And, you know, once every three weeks, they need to regenerate or whatever. And the Animorphs is about a, you know, a bunch of kids who morph into animals to fight them. But that's, that's not the point. The point is the Yerk's plan to take over humanity is incredibly sophisticated. 
and it takes a very, very long time to accomplish. And, you know, they're ultimately thwarted. But the point is, it's like a multi-year project with them trying to take control of people at all levels of society, and it takes literally forever. In this, in two months, they suddenly have a perfect understanding of human nature yeah. and how to perfectly turn these super complex empires against one another into all-out war, which to me is just... So it's just stupid. completely ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it's yeah. it's impossible to swallow. So I have a lot of like big picture sci-fi problems with this story, like from a from a complex point of view. Yeah. But I think that in terms of going along on a space adventure for a ride, it's great. Like if you if you just look at it at that level, if you don't look at the details too closely. I enjoyed my time with it. Yeah, there are um, some more nitpicks I had. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like how the main character just kind of followed this other character around for the entirety of the story, basically. He starts as a freelancer, and so it makes sense that he's initially just taking jobs from these people at the police. He never grows out of that and comes onto his own and does things... Of his own initiative. Yeah, yeah, like, I just feel like he's lacking as a character in a lot of ways. Like, honestly, Junko is more of a main character than he is, in my eyes, for the most part of the story. He's just so bland and has no driving force behind his actions for a lot of the time, other than to get money, really. And even then, I thought that a character like Flint from Archimedean Dynasty was a lot more of a convincing mercenary than he was. And even even we criticized Flint for that, so I, I think Trent is quite poor as a character. Yeah, it's funny, because Flint was an obnoxious dickhead, but at least yeah, that was something that something, he could be right? identified <laughs> as. Whereas Trent is kind of, like, mildly sarcastic. Like, he's not he's not deeply sarcastic. He just occasionally makes a sarcastic comment or two. He's, like, stoic, but I can't really give you any personality traits if I had to describe him. He's just so bland. Yeah, he's fine. I, I think, like you said... The main issue is a is a structural one, and this is something that I'm going to get into big time later with the gameplay. Yeah. But from a story point of view, a freelancer shouldn't be stuck helping one side all the way through against an alien threat. There needs to be some some nuance, some some playing both sides to to his involvement. And you know, it's okay for a storyline in a game to have a freelancer associated with a faction. But when there's only one story and this is the main, you know, when there's only one real story and you're just stuck with one faction the entire time, it kind of undermines his identity as a freelancer. He's not really super <laughs> believable as a freelancer. And when he starts getting called Colonel, it's like he's oh definitely not a freelancer. <laughs> not a Colonel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... One of the biggest problems that I had as well, like another big problem that I had is that some of the mission objectives make zero sense to me. For example, there was this one mission where you're just flying around space and Junko, you know, you're like the second main character messages you and she says, come meet me on this planet. And you say, okay, so you fly to that planet and you go to this random bar that she said she'd meet you at and you talk to the bartender who then says, Oh, she left a while ago. She said to meet her on this other planet. And it's like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on here? Like, why wouldn't she just tell me over radio that she was going to this other planet and not waste my time flying to this one, which I'm doing no missions at. I'm not buying anything at. I'm just, it's just like a waypoint that's wasting my time, you know? And that happened a couple times during the game. And I really disliked when that happened. 
It is really bizarre, isn't it? How how you will go to a place and they'll tell you to go somewhere, somewhere else. else. It's like, but we didn't do anything yeah. here. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of, the only explanation I have for it is that something came up. Like she's with the military police. So conceivably there are things that could pull her away. But the problem is there are other points throughout the campaign where you'll have an objective and then someone will contact you over radio and say, hey, update of plans. This thing has happened. Meet yeah. me here instead. And the fact that she doesn't have the courtesy to do that is is a little silly. Like, yeah, it is. You, yeah. Um, you mentioned the strength of the voice acting, and I actually agree with this. Mm-hmm. I think that the strength of the voice acting in this game from 2003 actually did draw me into the story and make me like characters who I probably wouldn't have liked at all if they were just text-based somehow, because I don't think any of the characters in this story are well-written, but the, their performances were good enough that I enjoyed listening to them, and um, and I think is one of the things that really actually made me enjoy the story despite my grievances. George Takai is quite good as well. I mean, I know his voice so iconically from Star Trek, so it really stands out to me. <laughs> but I mean, he did a very good job. I think uh, Juko does a really good job as well. I like her voice actor quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, in the main story, the voice acting is just excellent all around. And then... <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yes, well, let's... Uh... Let's take a bit of a side detour here and talk about the voice acting outside sure. of the story. <laughs> Which is, I'm going to say, comically Uh, bad to the point where it's... It's some of the worst I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I I was so shocked when I heard it. So one of the components of this game is that you'll do some story missions for a while, and then after maybe three missions, it'll say, um, okay, go and play around and do random side quests for a while until you've got enough money, at which point the story Mm -hmm. will resume. So... Um, when you in this kind of like free play section where you can go from planet to planet, pick up whatever mission you want, um, you generally go to bars, which is the place where quests are given out for some reason, and you talk to people. These people that you talk to, I am convinced that it is procedurally generated, like the, the game stitches together different bits of dialogue, because it is so fucking unnatural, I just, it makes me so uncomfortable listening to it, right? Yeah, what they did is, they grabbed that IT guy, they handed him a piece of paper, they said, can you read these lines out? Yeah. And they used the first take, as he as as the person reads it in the blandest monotone known to man. It's not just that the voice acting is bad, it's really jarring and disjointed, like, because I think, yeah. like, I couldn't find proof of it online, but I'm sure it's procedurally generated, right? Because it'll be like you walk up to the guy and you go hi i am trent hi trent do you have a mission for me what are you doing here trent i am a freelancer like it's like it's like that bad right they're just stitched together monotone things and a random yeah and you always hear the same little bits of dialogue over and over again we're like, not in charge around here but i know a few but yeah. we, we're very close with the people who are yeah Some, something like that yeah yeah yeah. i heard that like hundreds of times the funniest thing is i mean it's not funny when you're playing but it's funny on reflection the voice actor is exactly the same at every <laughs> yeah. single bar they are there, there will be there will be multiple characters in the same bar with the same voice actor 
with the same monotone voice. It's, it's unbelievable so that this is in the game. It's it would have been far superior if there was a text pop up that appeared. But it's like they had to have some voice acting, so they just did it all in the last hour of the but day. But they it's did like have a text pop left. up. Like after they do these terrible conversations, <laughs> a bubble pops up with more dialogue. Like they could have just done that for the whole thing. The game would have been better without the voice acting. It doesn't add anything at all. It's, well, it's outside horrendous. of the plot, right? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. In in the side quest bit specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, there's actually an option in the menu which skips it. Um, and a lot of ah. older. So you tick that, because I don't know if you noticed, but when you change rooms, because um, for the people listening, um, when you're at a planet, you can go between the spaceport where you repair and buy parts for your ship, the bar where you accept missions, and then like a couple of other shops, right? And every time you transition between these rooms, there's like a little cutscene that plays with you walking there. You can actually press escape to skip those transitions. Mm-hmm. And you can enable an option to automatically skip those, which actually also skips the weird side quest dialogue as well, which I was very happy about. I never discovered that. I just pressed escape a lot. Yeah, it's called like skip transition dialogue or something. It's on the very first Mm. menu screen. I would highly recommend everybody turns that on immediately so they don't have to listen to this garbage. I'm of the opinion that there is a lower threshold to how bad something can be in games because like people work on these and i think that this uh where that bar was in my mind has been lowered by playing this game and hearing that voice acting it's just so bad see i disagree about the threshold i think bad things are bad and this is certainly some of the worst i've ever heard though so i guess i guess that's not really relevant the fact that you think it's bad must mean it's really atrocious oh okay Yeah, um, it, it's fucking garbage, um, but it's a very small part of the game, thankfully. So let's go back to, uh, let's go back to the good stuff in, I think, uh, the, the story structure, I guess, which will kind of lead us into gameplay. Um, was there anything else you wanted to touch about on the story before we move on? Not really. I've really said my piece. Like, I don't like the characters. I think that the story progression is okay. Actually, I think the mystery elements of the first quarter of the game are Mm. actually really good. Um, I think they did a good job of not explaining stuff to you for long enough that it let the intrigue kind of sit with you for a while. Um, Because you're being chased by these people and you don't know why, and you're chased for long enough without an explanation that, like, it really, it does a good job of building intrigue, right? I completely agree. It's It's a nice escalation. Like I said, I was really expecting something special and ultimately I was disappointed because the payoff for the intrigue is nowhere near as good as the intrigue itself. So I think the first like third of this game's story is so much better than the last two thirds. No, I agree, yeah. Which is very unfortunate. But um, yeah, I think if you just look at it as a simple space adventure with, uh, you know, with new people joining your party as you go along, you can enjoy it on that level. Um, anything beyond that, and it starts to fall. Yeah, and like when we did Archimedean Dynasty, which I'm constantly going to be comparing this game to, uh, that game did world building a lot better than this game as well, I think. That's something we should definitely go into, because I, I completely agree with you. The different factions in uh, in Archimedean Dynasty, they were incredibly well realized. From all the dialogue, you really got a sense of place yes. uh, from from everything. And the, the massive manual that you got to read, uh, no, they say got to read. It's worth reading by itself. <laughs> uh, it re- really added to that. The... 
factions in this felt like crudely drawn stereotypes at best. Yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah. Part of that is the fact that there's no, like, interesting characters to speak to outside of the main plot. Yes. So when you're visiting the other factions, it's pretty much only the graphics you get on screen and the music, to some degree, that informs the flavor of these factions. And that's a very, very basic way to to draw a faction. Archimedean Dynasty's factions were based on, like, stereotypes almost of you know, real world peoples, like there was the American faction and the like Russian Chinese faction and the, you know, United Arab Nations, but they were all extremely well fleshed out. Whereas here, they kind of take those stereotypes and assume that because you know them, you don't need any more. And I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Well, the the ones in Archimedean Dynasty, yes, they had their basis in stereotypes, but they were their own thing. Yeah, because they had a timeline that evolved over 200 years and they changed. Exactly. It, it stood on its own merits. Yeah, whereas here there's like 800 years and they're all the same. So uh... Germany's space faction and Britain's space faction. And the thing is... It's not like they even have, like, different views on religion or politics or anything that are clearly identifiable. They, they may as well all be the same, just with different accents. There's no culture between these, like, vastly spread apart nations. It just, it really rubbed me the wrong way. I was not a fan of how cut and paste they felt. It just wasn't very good. It's just, uh, in general, that, that was that was my feelings about the story. It was a lack of detail. It, it was ultimately something incredibly simple. When it seemed at first that I was being promised so much. At the end of the day, it's a kind of fun action romp, I guess. Don't go in expecting anything more than that. But, you know, it's still enjoyable enough, I guess. Enjoyable in the moment is a good way to think of it. So did you want to kind of transition into gameplay now? Well, let's take a quick music break. We've been going for about 30 minutes. Um, James, would you like to tell us about your favorite piece of music from uh, from not Archimedean Dynasty, <laughs> your favorite piece of music from Freelancer. So picking a favorite song from this soundtrack was actually quite difficult. Freelancer is a game with a really diverse soundtrack. It's got about 64 tracks in total, and there's a huge amount of variety on there, honestly. Um, so you've got your general ambient space tracks to your really lively tracks that play in the bar, um, one of which I've chosen to play for you now, which is the third bar theme from the Liberty Star system. So here is Liberty Bar 3. should be very embarrassed that he likes Liberty Bar, you know, track three over the far superior Liberty (laughs) Bar track two. Obviously very catchy titles for these music, but 
yeah, number two was clearly the pick of the bar tracks, and uh, James went three for some reason that I can't understand. Oh. Yeah, so you seem to have a pretty uh, solid opinion of the bar tracks, Patrick. Did you actually uh, like the soundtrack in this one? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that overall, I'll just say I'm pretty positive on it. I quite liked the music. Um, the music comes in, I would call it like three main parts. Yep. You've got the bar music, which is, I guess, the more the most traditional of them all. Um, it's the one that's most clearly identifiable as distinct from uh, other themes with, you know, the American music being culturally distinct from the German music, which is a more like traditional techno thing, something closer to Armored Core yeah. or Archimedean Dynasty. And then you've got the Japanese bar music, which, you know, has your stereotypical Japanese flutes kind of skittering around the edges to add to its theme. Um, then you've got the planet themes, which are all very short tracks. Like, Yeah, they're like a fanfare for when you first land there. They're very, like, orchestral and grandiose. Like, there's a big parade for you arriving, that kind of thing. And they, um, um, and, and some of the, the more rundown or, like, dis- not dystopian, but, like, really built-up city planets, it felt very ominous sometimes, which I kind of liked. In general, mm-hmm. I thought that... Um, because like you said, there's three categories of music, right? There's the bar themes, there's the planet intro themes, and then there's the general mm. flying about space music. Within each of these categories, I thought there was heaps of variety. Like every single bar you go to has three or four distinct tracks just for it. Um, so honestly, never really felt like I was listening to the same song more than a couple of times throughout the game. It is worth noting that those planet themes are like are pushing the definition of what actually constitutes a song. I mean, they're on the soundtrack, but they're all very, very short. Yeah, they're like a theme. Yeah, the meat of the music comes in those ambient space themes and the bar themes. So the ambient space themes, it seems to mostly be uh, like a subtle synth sort of style music. Yeah. So something similar to, you know, the stuff that you've seen in the Blade Runner movies, but a lot more a lot more subtle, not not so in your face. And don't get me wrong, Blade Runner has one of the best soundtracks of all time. But in a game like this where you're just sailing around space, the and you know, you're getting in dogfights, these big action-y sort of set pieces, I think the ambient um, soundtrack was a great choice. Yeah. I think that something more orchestral and in your face would have and gotten loud, on your nerves. Absolutely, because yeah. we'll get into this in a second. But you do a lot of flying through space in this game, and if it was like mm-hmm. heavy metalies constantly, you'd grow insane. Um, but I, I, I agree. I, I love the ambient sounds in this game. Um, I love that it's so different between each major system. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed the soundtrack. It's got a whole bunch of variety and all of it's good, honestly. Yeah, great soundtrack and it fits the theme. And I like that there are different, the different bar themes, I think, is a really good addition. Because yeah. while there's not much personality in any of these places, that's one of the main things that helps identify these places. So I'm I'm grateful that they exist. Yeah, so um, we just spoke a bit about flying around a lot. So did you want to jump into gameplay? Okay, so let me let me just explain. You touched on it earlier, but I'll touch on it in a, in a bit more detail to expand before getting into my number one criticism of this game. <laughs> so you can identify the gameplay of this game as divided into two major bits. There's um, the dogfighting, which I'd like to go into a lot more detail later. 
But for now, I want to concentrate on the more macro structure of the game, which is um, how you pursue your primary missions and your side missions. So the idea is that you have your primary missions that you go through, and then um, after you finish a primary mission uh, in the main quest, uh, Juno will say to you, hey, I'm busy, go entertain yourself for a while and I should have something for you in a while and what that means is you need to increase your net worth because your net worth might be 16,000 but you need to have a net worth of 25,000 in order for the next mission to unlock and your net worth is just how much cash you have plus the value of your ship. Yeah so just quickly on this I actually think this is a really good system for making sure that the player is properly equipped for the next upcoming mission Rather than having, because you have levels in this game, right? Like uh, in an RPG. However, instead of increase, like your levels don't increase with experience. They increase once you hit certain net worth thresholds. So what I really liked about this system is that, you know, you can't do the next story mission until you have enough, a certain amount of money, uh, thus meaning you've been able to buy a certain quality of guns and ship parts for your fighter ship, which meant that I never felt unequipped for story missions. And I quite liked that. So, James, you should be ashamed of yourself for having these thoughts. Why? Because if you don't realize, we have played a game that is identical in structure to this, and it is one of the worst games I've ever played in my life. Is it? Because, James, Freelancer is secretly Crystalis. What? (laughs) The thing about Crystalis, a game that I complained about thoroughly on episode 30 when we did it, is it has this system where if you try and go into the boss fight without having grinded enough, it will literally stop you from killing the boss. In Freelancer, you literally cannot confront the boss, i.e. the next mission, until you have grinded away at side missions. It's exactly the same fucking structure, and I hate it with every ounce of my being. And if I had one main criticism to level at this game, and I have many more under my belt, this would be at the top really? of a very long list. Okay. How dare this game waste my time? How dare it? <laughs> With these fucking generic auto-generated side quests. Oh, and if you don't feel like doing these auto-generated side quests with zero personality, with repeated content hundreds of times over, your only alternative is to do trade missions, where you load up your fucking cargo at one port, go to another place, sell it, load up your cargo with something else, and go back and forth for hours until you've acquired the funds. I hate it so much. It is filler content that is wasting my time, and I wish it did not exist. So how many missions would you say you would be doing on each of these little you know free time excursions um it varied a bit it basically it depended how much i had to i I was forced to spend on like repair modules you know and missiles that were chewing through my inventory but i would say five or six on average okay so when i played this game and i got up to the first free mission i had the exact same feelings on it that you did right So I got up to the first, you know, free time and I had to go and do missions. And then I did the first like two or three missions and realized they were all the same because this game gives you a few options in missions, right? You get to choose kill ships or you can do assassinate, which is actually kill specific ship, even (laughs) though you're going to kill all the other ships anyway, because otherwise they'll kill you. 
Um, and then there is pick up cargo from a ship, which means shoot the ship and then press the button to pick up the loot. <laughs> so really, this, all the yeah, same. yeah, this game has absolute zero mission variety outside of the story, and even sometimes in the story. Uh, and I found I had a big problem with that when I started playing this game because, like you, I spent the first free mission just you know you go to the the area, you kill the ships, you go back because you can only you can only take one quest at a time too. You can't like yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah you can't There's load no up on five and then go do them all at the same time. No, you have to fly all the way to the mission area, <laughs> kill all the <sighs> ships, fly all the way back to the planet, get another mission. And that's what happened to me in the first free play session. And I was like, this game sucks. Um, this is awful. Correct. Then I got to the next couple of missions and I was a bit smarter. Um, so Patrick kind of alluded to it, but there is kind of like a trading system in this game, which isn't really told to you, but you can figure it out if you play around with it. Um, so effectively, at one, one pl you'll be at a planet. And you go to the tr the dealer and he's selling like diamonds and ship parts and scrap metal and food supplies, all at different prices. And on this list, he's also showing you planets which are buying those resources often, you know, and it's never for the same, right? So you buy diamonds at a thousand credits each at this planet and then you can check the list and, oh, this other planet is buying them for 2000 so I can double my money. Um, and uh, it's important to note that ships have a like a limited set of cargo, and we'll go into that a bit more later, but basically once I realized that trading existed, what I was doing was I was checking the mission board, because it tells you where on the map the mission will be at, and then trying to like coordinate my trade missions with regular missions, mm -hmm. and by doing that I was able to reduce my free playtime to like two missions from like eight like, I was only ever doing two missions at a time, so it stopped feeling like grinding um, because I was being rewarded with my, you know, like, clever planning by not having to grind. Um, and so I actually started enjoying those sections more than the story because they, they took more, like, forethought than actually just doing the story missions, which were also just fly to point, kill dudes, or fly from point A to B to C without doing anything. So I, I did feel that way to begin with. I definitely hated the experience to start with, but it definitely grew on me as the story went on. Hey, James, I got to give you credit where credit's due. That is a definitely a more intelligent way of doing it than I did, because I never really got deep into the trading. I was doing it a yeah. little bit here and there but nowhere to the degree that you were. And that definitely sounds like the smart way to get this content out of the way as fast as possible. But the very fact that what you're discussing is optimizing getting this content out of the way as fast as possible should give you some idea as to the value of this content. Quite simply, with the way it is currently implemented, it should not exist. I maintain that there is literally zero excuse for grinding. And this is an instance of unabated grinding. What you needed, what this game needed, was some way to contextualize the actions in which you were taking. And that's, that's literally all I need. In a game like Oblivion or Skyrim, the way it's set up is that a lot of the time you're doing similar things. You're going to places, you're killing guys, you're getting the treasure, right? But these things are situated in these quest lines, like you'll be in the Mages Guild or the Thieves Guild, or they'll just be random interesting quests to investigate in each city you go to. Yep. And 
by contextualizing and giving them story elements in this way, the fact that you're going and killing guys hundreds of times in most missions feels far less problematic because you've got a framework to give it sense. The fact that these are just generic side quests and that's literally it. Yeah, like they're procedurally generated. And they're worse than like radio, you know, they're worse than the procedurally generated missions in Skyrim. And that's already an incredibly low bar. I would have preferred it if there had been like eight available, you know, handcrafted quests and you chose from like four of them that you wanted to do because you're a freelancer. And each of these had a little like story segment, like they spoke to you over the radio while you did them and it gave you a bit of world building while you did them. That would have been actually really good. I would have liked that. It would have fixed the problem that we had um, about the main character not feeling like a freelancer, like he could take jobs from other factions who were visiting the planet. Mm. I think it would have done a lot for the game. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm the kind of person that really likes those kind of optimization gameplay loops. So Mm. I am ended up enjoying it a lot more than I initially thought I was going to once I kind of shifted the way I was looking at it. But if you do just pick up mission over and over without looking at the trading or other stuff, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, and, and that's fair. And, and I honestly, I feel a little sheepish now about my <laughs> approach that, that I wasn't as big brained as you because I, like I said, I was doing a little bit of trading, but I was definitely not optimizing. I was more playing the game while I was on my phone. Oh, I was also on my phone a lot while playing this game. <laughs> um, so I guess let's get to that because that's actually my biggest criticism of this game. But in some ways, I think this is a strength of the game. So the game takes place in space, right? And everyone knows that space is, it's space, right? It's massive. It's gigantic. It goes forever. Um, And so, you know, planets aren't very close to each other. So when you're, you know, flying from one planet to another, it takes quite a while. And, you know, luckily the people who are living in these systems have created these jump gates that when you dock into them, they let you go at like super speed for quite a while. So you can get to planet to planet a bit faster. And when I say a bit faster, what I mean is still takes so long that you'll probably sit on your phone for like 10 minutes uh, until you get to your destination. Um, There is a lot of like waiting because this game has an autopilot feature. You just click on a nav point and then press F2 and your plane will just beeline for it. And honestly, probably the majority of my time in space was waiting for my ship to get to its destination, which on one hand really builds into that feeling of being in the wide open space like it really adds to the believability of the setting but it's really fucking boring to give you guys an idea of what a typical side mission entails you um leave the planet then you go to the way gate you uh so so you boost to the way gate then you dock at the way gate then you go through this way gate and then you exit that one and you enter another way gate You finally reach your location and there'll be a waypoint about 15 kilometers away that you boost towards. You kill all the dudes and then you've got to do it all in reverse. Yeah. So for the, you know, five minutes of dog fighting, it takes about, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe 15, 15, yeah, 15 to 20 minutes total to get there and back. Which is ridiculous. (laughs) It's ridiculous that for the mission, if they just dropped you off at the mission or if you could just click to your destination, the whole thing would have taken five minutes. 
that's that's absurd. That's a that's a level of uh, time wasting that I've that I've now come to expect from freelance. Do you kind of accept what I'm saying about the believability of the universe, though? Like overall, I think this is a negative on the game, but there is some logic to it, right? So this is where I'm going to zoom out to my big picture view, which is that I think freelancer has an identity crisis. It's something that it took me a while to get a hang on, but I, I think I've got it now. I think that freelancers' good content is all linear-focused, single-player experience going on an adventure with your friends that you make along the way where, you're, where you do exactly what you're told. Yeah. I think that the game world is structured in such a way that it wants to be this open-world, factional, you know... Um, Exploration. Multiple yeah. exploration sort of game, exactly. Yeah. But all of the good stuff is in the linear stuff, and all of the bad, boring, repetitive stuff is in the gameplay open yeah. world sort of structure. And so the problem isn't... And, and here's the thing. This game... I, I can envision a game where I wouldn't actually mind traveling all this time in real time. But Freelancer isn't the game where I don't mind because the places I'm going aren't interesting. They're all the same. There is no meaningful exploration in this game. The tasks that I'm doing, I have no motivation behind. And it's, you know, they're procedurally generated. So it all feels so empty and meaningless. Yeah. But if I was doing it for someone that I'd grown attached to as a character... And the place I was going to was a really cool looking location, you know, out in space that, that was unique that everyone visited or whatever. Then all of a sudden that context can bring all these, these things to life and make this feel like a world worth exploring and living in. If um, all of that side stuff was just cut out, honestly, the story experience as a whole would be pretty enjoyable for me. Um, but there's just a lot of dead air in this game that kind of drags it down a lot one of the things that made me not hate like so many times i would be like okay it's an autopilot section i'll leave my bedroom while i fly to the mission and go talk to my friends who i live with like i did that almost every time so that bad experience of just waiting at my computer i don't remember it because i didn't i didn't bother to wait i didn't let the game waste my time in that way because i just went and did mm. something else while i waited um it adds to the it adds to the the believability of space and all but really it just such a waste of time holy shit you can't just make a world believable by making it take a long time to get across you need to populate it with other things to make it feel like a real place yeah. because the waiting is what is kind of like the trimming the icing on the on the cake if if you populate this world with exciting things and you, and you believe in the world then the waiting uh the waiting that you have to do to actually physically travel around the place just adds, you know, it, it just adds a little bit to make it a bit more believable. Yeah. That can't be the whole thing. And <laughs> that's all it was. That's the, it's only the icing. Someone splurged a big thing of icing on your, on your plate and said, enjoy, which, you know, some people may enjoy. Sometimes during, during the mission, I'd be flying in a way and I'd find a space station that wasn't on the map. And I'd be like, oh, cool. I found mm -hmm. something. 
and then I'd dock with it to see what was going on, and then they wouldn't really be selling anything interesting other than some maybe some cheap parts to buy to trade somewhere else. Mm. And then they'd just be full of the regular, you know, procedurally generated mission givers. Like, there's nothing special about this space station that I've learned. There's no lore here, there's no characters to interact with, it's just bland. Um, and I had that issue a bunch of times while playing Freelancer. I'm going to riff off a bit here. I know this isn't quite what we're talking about, but I think it's related. I think that what this sort of structure wants, like if you were if you were to ignore the main story for a second and you were to look at what it feels like this game wants to do or what, what, it, what it could do, is that it wants you to like explore in every direction and uncover stories as you go and have you interacting with different factions with their own factional quests and make you want to explore this world and see the meaningful things in it but it's never realized and i don't know exactly what happened during the development of this game but it just feels like a hollow shell this whole this whole part of the game the the freelancing part of the game it just feels like just such a unbaked i mean something like no man's sky feels like a better realized oh, world that's a big that's than, a big uh... than this does i really think it's true and no man's sky is one of the worst procedurally generated worlds in existence but even that had me more excited and interested than anything in the exploratory side mission part of freelance from an exploration standpoint i kind of agree with you um a lot of the environments in the game look quite nice, but because it's space, you can like see that niceness without going there because you can see such a long distance away from you. You don't need to <laughs> go anywhere or explore anything. It's like you get to a star system and you're like, wow, this looks really cool. That's the kind of the, like the limit of how cool it is. It doesn't go up from there. Yeah, it's nebula and debris fields. It's not like physical locations that you'd like to visit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I... I know that this game, after doing a bit of research, went through development hell, and I can really see the side effects of that on this game. Like, I completely agree with you. The main story and the other stuff kind of don't fit together as well as they could. It completely it ends. Yeah, yeah, they really, like, butt heads with each other really badly. Um, And because we specifically came here to play this game for the single-player content rather than the, you know, the freeform stuff like all that stuff on the side really got in my way constantly of what i was otherwise you know enjoying mostly um did you want to get on to the combat because that is probably the second thing that you'll be doing the most in this game other than sitting on your phone all right well let's let's take another quick uh music break um so because james chose so my my favorite track was um was actually liberty bar 2 but <laughs> i felt bad with this idea that we both pick uh exactly the same i agree ne nearly <laughs> if we did liberty bar 1 and liberty bar 2 that that would be a mistake so instead i chose um one of the space themes i like pretty much every single space theme and they're not it's not immediately obvious the differences between them but i think the the one that i liked the most was um it was omega space omega space is my favorite but honestly all of the space themes are very well done and i enjoyed them all so this is just part of it because they're four minute songs but it will give you an idea of the contrast between the bar themes and the um, ambient space themes so this is omega space 
That was Omega Space, and I really liked the ambient tracks and especially the mixing of sounds in this game because the sound of firing up your boosters to go into cruise speed, um, which takes a few seconds of charging, sounds incredible against the ambient background, and I loved it every time I did it. Um, and in addition, you know, slamming my thrusters in the midst of combat was also really satisfying against that backtrack, which, uh, I guess brings us to combat, which is most of the gameplay, honestly, outside of listening to the story and sitting on your phone driving through thin air. Um, this is our second experience with this kind of dogfighting space combat after our Comedian Dynasty, and uh, how do you think it held up compared to that, Patrick? I gotta say, my first impressions upon starting the fighting in this game was, oh my god, this is the this is the most comfortable I've ever been with dog fighting <laughs> yeah. ever. Uh, after playing Archimedean Dynasty, and then after playing System Shock. Shock, and I know, I know it's a you know an immersive sim, but with that game specifically, it's got a lot in common. Was I've been getting used to having these high learning curves with having to control my character and my ship. Within 20 seconds of starting this game, it feels intuitive and you understand how to control your ship pretty much perfectly. I completely agree. That was my, you know, my first thought and my second thought and my third thought was that <laughs> this game controls like a dream, honestly. Yeah. Um, from like, like when you're flying your ship, it does exactly what you want. The controls are very simple, but they allow you to do a lot with them. I, I felt completely in control of my game the entire time and I barely like I only needed to look up a control maybe once or twice the entire time I thought it was very smooth and the tutorial did a very good job of kind of you know setting you up for success I think so one of the repeated themes on this podcast that comes up again and again is that you and I play these games from you know the 90s and early 2000s ma mainly the 90s and we struggle and struggle with the controls. And every second episode, it's like, man, it took me so long <laughs> to get a hang of the controls. Because, you know, one of the things about modern games is that we've very much unified our understanding on how to, you know, easily control our games um, to the point where a lot of games, you'll never have played them before. You sit down, you immediately know how to play an FPS. Yeah. You know what 90% of the buttons do. But back in the past, this was... Abs there was absolutely no common standard. <laughs> um, this game, Freelancer, has a modern control scheme. Yeah, it that's does. that's the best it's way really I have good. to put it. It's very intuitive, uh, and you, you just you just get it. There are one or two things that take a while, but it's it's stuff like there are multiple ways in which to interact with objects. You can either physically click on an item and interact with it or there'll be a list in the bottom left hand corner that you can click yeah. and you can do either or whichever is more convenient at the time small things like that just make this game control like a dream and whatever you try and do that's what ends up happening very easily yeah and even the visual indicators of the hud are really good like one thing i liked is when you're in kind of like free aim mode there's these little arrows that point towards where your cursor is on screen that kind of give you this like feeling at the sharpness of your turn and i felt that like mm -hmm. the feedback from the hud in general was quite good like we really liked our comedian dynasty's hud for being really immersive this one isn't as immersive but it's like 
just it's just as useful in a lot of senses and uh, controls like a dream. And I really appreciated stuff like uh, the inclusion of autopilot and auto docking that really made it a smooth experience. I kind of see, um, you know, the things which are sims. And I mean, Archimedean Dynasty is still arcadey in a lot of ways, but it's definitely more sim-like than this. I kind of see them as both like valid and viable ways to construct a video game. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like I, I. I don't think either one is better than another because I'm trying to give you different sorts of experiences. I really liked Archimedean Dynasty, that idea of kind of like seeing without seeing. You kind of learn to interpret all these different pieces of data yep. uh, that were coming your way. Um, this game, it just plays itself. You just <laughs> you just get to fly your starship around, which is which is so it's so nice, James. Yeah. It's so nice to just play a video game. <laughs> Earlier on in the episode, you said that um, people recommended this as somebody's first, you know, uh, flight sim kind of game, and I can I can totally see where they're coming from with this. So let's uh, should we dive a bit more deeply into some of these aspects? Oh, I don't like, know. I uh, thought we were going to um, praise the controls <laughs> we for another twenty minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, I think um, one of the interesting, just a random starting point, essentially, is the different uh, ship types you have available. Oh, to you. I love You've this got, bit uh, of the game. Um, so they're, they're basically Basically, three three main classes of ships: yes. your light fighters, your heavy fighters, and your freighters. And within each class, there's like I'd say about ten ten or so ships yep. per class yep. that you unlock over the course of the game. Um, and all of them actually offer their unique advantages. Um, I personally found myself very much going towards the heavy fighters predominantly, although I tested out the other two a little bit. Did you did you have a preference? Yeah, so in the end I also ended up preferring the heavy fighter over the other ships. However, they all kind of had their usefulness. Um right in the middle of the game when I was discovering how useful trading was, I was very very taken with my big freighter because the main difference between freighters and the two fighter types is that freighters let you carry like 10 times the amount of cargo, which lets you do so much trading and money making. Um, I was actually trying to like get some really good trade routes set up and I made like, I think I skipped a couple of the like free run missions because I had so much money from doing trade missions, um, but just because I was using a heavy freighter. Which also actually, rather than having, because the, the main difference between light and heavy fighters is that heavy fighters have more gun slots, so you can like pack like six guns on them to go all guns blazing. Freighters don't mm -hmm. have as many gun slots. What they do is they have turret slots instead, yep. which instead of, they fire, they're a bit weaker than regular guns, but instead of firing straight forward, you can actually press a button to look around your ship 360 and shoot in any direction. Which means that when you're traveling, you know, you're transporting a heavy amount of cargo, you can just keep flying towards your destination while shooting ships behind you instead of having to do all sorts of crazy dogfight fighter maneuvers in the lightly armored ships. Because, um, you know, a freighter can take a lot more damage generally. Um, so I, I actually really did like the trade-offs between these two. You know, one was slower, less maneuverable, but gave you the option of making more money in return for that, you know, kind of trade-off of maneuverability and firepower. Um, and in general, mm. I found myself switching back and forth between the three types. Yeah, there's um, there's also that, that maneuver you described. I played around with it a little bit, but can never, you know, I guess use it super effectively. You can cut your engines and kind of 
glide along and do this do a similar thing where you're shooting in other directions while your engines are cut yeah but it's i i found it quite tricky to actually use effectively in dogfights and generally found that just you know flying around in circles and dodging enemy missile fire and it was was generally what i ended up doing i had very simple strategy nothing super complicated yeah me too um so how did you feel about the dogfighting because honestly um, it's very different to what I was describing before, the like flying forward and shooting behind you with your turrets. Um, mm. And it felt a lot more real to me than when we were playing Archimedean Dynasty, because in that game, I found that because you're underwater, one thing I would do a lot is kind of, you know, um, zoom up to a ship's weak spot where it couldn't target me and then just sit there holding the fire button until it exploded. In this game... Ships are a lot more agile, and you have to like really chase them down in order to actually get hits on them. Like it was a str like once you had them in your reticules, they generally go down quite fast. But actually being able to get those clear shots were quite difficult. I found. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I mean overall, I quite enjoyed the combat in this game. Um, it's fairly simple. I I don't want to say it has zero depth yeah. because. I'm I'm pretty sure there is some rather complicated maneuvers you can pull off. And I think that if I were to jump into a multiplayer server with the people who actually knew how to play this game, I would be smeared red upon the walls. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the way, I guess, the skills required in the single-player campaign, it doesn't demand a complex set of maneuvers out of out of you. It's mainly about, you know, going around in circles, uh, responding to enemy missiles with counter flares, trying to use mines effectively by continually crossing paths, um, and yeah, just trying to avoid damage by twisting left and right if, if someone's chasing you. And all of that's just good arcadey fun. Like yeah. I, I don't I don't really I don't really think it's anything super complicated, but it's fun. It is like fun, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed these dogfights. I think that Ultimately, I found them a little repetitive, to be completely honest. We'll go into it in a sec, but the way the upgrading works is, is that it's a fairly linear upgrade yes. path. You're not really changing the way in, your, in which your ship functions in anywhere near the way like we like an armored core, like we did in a previous episode. So you're kind of doing the same thing over and over again. But the thing that you're doing is pretty fun, so it doesn't matter too much. No, I agree. I think the upgrade paths are much less interesting than um, the other upgrade style games we've played, Armored Core and Archimedean Dynasty, which in particular had this really cool uh, missile system that made you make interesting decisions But when you were purchasing stuff. Here, you just kind of mm -hmm. like buy the best thing available to you but in general, I, I really liked the combat in this game. You, it's, it's very hectic a lot of the time, and I got a lot better at it as I played the game. I was trying to play it like other game, like the other game I'd played um, to begin with, and it wasn't working for me very well. So there was one mission in particular near the start of the game where I really had to get good because I was having a lot of trouble. But um, I think uh, by the end of the game, my piloting skills... <laughs> are a bit more sophisticated and I had a few strategies that I was using to kind of try and avoid damage and take ships out in an efficient way. I was very reluctant to use missiles and mines to start with. I'm not sure why, because they cost money and I didn't want to spend too much money. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, but like 
near the end of the game, there was this item called the Wasp, I think it was, which primarily function is when you hit an enemy with it, it slows the engine down by quite a bit. Um, and I found it just guaranteed kills like so much better than the missiles or mines did. Because it like when I was in a heavy fighter, I could just mow things down if I had a couple seconds to aim on them, which, uh, you know, stopping them doing their crazy loopy maneuvers really did for me. Let's um let's talk about difficulty for a bit, because um like you, I struggled a bit early on. But the real problems I had were kind of in the middle, um, in the Japanese missions. There were a couple where you went on like this suicide mission to another evil Japanese lord, and I found that mission to be one of the toughest. Was that the one where there was the big shield and you had to destroy the generators? Yeah, I think so. There were a couple of missions close together, I can't remember which is which, but basically I had to reload my um, one of the autosaves and cash up and improve my equipment to the top level before I feel I could successfully take it on. I did that a couple times, yeah. I found that that moment there was a fairly big difficulty spike for me at that point in time. Um, but on the whole, it felt about right. Like, I wasn't going through missions never failing, but, you know, it took a few attempts and then I could move on to the next one. I think the levels of the difficulty were pretty good. Um, I don't think the curve was as, like, smooth as it should have been. Like, no, I really. would have preferred it to ramp up at a steady pace, constantly challenging you, whereas... Like you, I found there were a bunch of spikes in the middle that were hard for me to overcome, but... Um, I don't think there was anything insane, um, and I don't think it was ever a pushover either. One of the things I'm grateful for is the mid-main mission autosaves. Yes. Something, oh my god, it's so good. (laughs) The first time I died, I was like, oh my god, I'm going to have to do that all again. And then I just got knocked back basically one engagement, and I was like... Thank you so much, game. Because it's it's so much better than the quick saving system. It that doesn't we're so actually often let you save to. scum either. Like it disables yeah, saving yeah. mission, which I really liked actually. It's, it's good. Yeah. So so you get a reasonable punishment for stuffing up without it forcing you to repeat an absurd amount of progress. And yes, sometimes it sends you back, and then you need to you know go in a way gate, and you're waiting in line forever. But honestly, on balance, I would I just far prefer autosave systems nowadays to quick saving. So, yeah, the game has these difficulty spikes, but it's not as punishing as it could be. It's so funny to me how we're like, autosave is the greatest thing ever invented. You should, like, uh, as if this is some huge achievement because it's so standard nowadays. But like, is this like the first game we've played on this show that has had a good save system? It might be one of them. Uh, Halo Halo has yeah. an autosave system as well. Yeah, there, there's a few other ones. And, you know, we've we've talked about this quicksave versus autosave thing a lot. And uh, it's it's just interesting because when I was younger, I thought quicksaving was the only way to go. And now I would far, far, far prefer an yeah. autosave system because, you know, you need a little bit of punishment for failure. And, yeah, it's so hard to resist abusing a quicksave system. I just prefer when the the game just punishes you a little bit where you get where you get a single crack of the whip on your back instead of you having to manage your own difficulty, which is just painful and, and not really fun. Yeah, like for a game that was released in 2003, honestly, the quality of life features here are pretty much on par with a modern game, honestly. Uh, I was really impressed with that. So yeah, I really liked the quality of life in this game. I think it was excellent. Um, 
that's pretty much all I had for about combat. I, like you, I really liked the combat. Archimedean Dynasty opened my eyes, um, and this game has kind of reaffirmed that for me, that I love dogfighting games like this, and I think this one, um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, is a great system for newer players. Uh, I think it's really fun, arcadey, just goodness, honestly. The, the combat in this game is a delight, and although we kind of bemoaned the lack of mission variety at least the one mission that this game does have is quite a bit of fun so it does take that edge off a bit just one final thing on the combat i think that it is worth noting that the simplicity of this uh combat system does mean that there is some depth sacrifice yeah it's like a it's like a trade-off and that you know there are all kinds of different systems some some systems are have a good learning curve and they're incredibly complex to master and it just keeps going up and up like that and i mean i'm sure some fighting games which i don't really play fit into that system where it can be fun to play as a beginner but also incredibly rewarding as a you know as a master I feel like there is a cap at which you've kind of mastered most of what this uh, this system has to offer. So yeah, it's not as it's not as deep as other systems, but that's okay. And honestly, for me, um, it's perfectly fine as is. But uh, we should should mention it broadly speaking. The one final thing I wanted to touch on, I think that one of the other reasons that the story missions seem more compelling, um, even in those long waits, than the regular missions is. That the story missions aren't just here's a bit of dialogue at the beginning and here's a bit of dialogue at the end. It's kind of like a running and evolving um, commentary and chain of events that happen. So as you're moving from location A to B, there'll be um, radio chatter from your squad yeah. mates that you're flying around with. And I found that that's literally all you need to keep me engaged yeah. during these long jump gates. It doesn't take much. And that's all you need. And suddenly it becomes a lot more um, palpable. So once again, I think that the, it, it's, a, it's another good example of why the story feels so enjoyable on a moment to moment basis, because it doesn't feel like you're wasting your time as much for contextual reasons. Well, like if you take a game like uh, Red Dead Redemption or even the Grand Theft Auto games, a lot of the missions in those games are just driving from point A to point B, but they're still fun because the dialogue that you listen to while doing that driving is enjoyable. And like, I completely agree with you, that definitely makes the story missions so much more enjoyable. I know I'm not doing anything, I'm not touching my keyboard or my mouse because, you know, my ship's on autopilot for 10 minutes, but because I'm listening to other characters talk, I'm still engaged. Like, that's really the difference between, you know, flying 10 minutes in a story mission and flying 10 minutes, you know, in a shitty procedurally generated mission that has nothing to offer you while you're doing that waiting. Yeah, so um, I think that's most of the gameplay things we want to touch on. Yeah. Um, We'll just quickly move on to uh, graphics. My take on the graphics is that, it, once again, it's split into two parts. Yeah. I think that the space parts of this game still look fantastic, yeah. which is very impressive for a game released in 2003. Like, usually games from this era, when it comes to any anything that's aiming for anything that looks even somewhat realistic, 
it's a it's a dumpster fire. Yeah. And I think that when you're going around in space, this game still looks beautiful. It does. Like, st- it just yeah. it just still looks beautiful. It's not, you know, crazy high resolution or anything, but it's enough to lose yourself in the music and the and the atmosphere as you're traveling around. So big thumbs up for that. Yeah, each of the systems does a really good job of looking distinct too. You know, it's it's all yep. just space, right? But the different nebulas and stars, you know, there's a star off in the distance with a heap of lens flare when you look near it. There's particles flying around. There's different shaped asteroids. At one point you go to this system that's really cold, even though all of space is kind of cold. And there's full <laughs> of these like floating icicles everywhere that don't look super out of place or cartoony i I think that the game does a really good job of looking good in space the modeling and the textures are the worst part but most of it you can't even tell right because your ship's in front of Mm -hmm. you but the the engines are flaring to the point where you can barely see your ship um everything's so far away that you can't make out the the murky details up close i think that out in space this game does look beautiful still uh you know almost 20 years later. And then um, the other obvious implication that you've probably (laughs) gathered from our statements is the ships and the uh, planets and and the character character models models, (laughs) uh, peak 2003 PC slash PS2 graphics. Chunky, ugly, stretched. At one point you go to a... um, to like a planet to find a scientist and they're in a hole in the ground. The planet is like a green grass texture just stretched Over across everything. the entire planet. It's so bad. Yeah. It's it's it hasn't quite made me nostalgic for Max Payne One graphics, <laughs> but it's really not too far removed from that level of quality. Yeah. Thankfully you spend like ninety percent of your time out in space. So overall this game looks really good in my opinion. Yeah, like, and that's the thing, like, the cutscenes are a little, you know, they don't look great, but I agree with James, on the, on the balance of it, because you spend most of your time in space, I think that's the best way to evaluate the graphics, and I was very satisfied with how this game looks, it's still quite beautiful, I was very impressed. Yeah, it is. Um, one thing that I wanted to draw attention to is this little visual effect that they used a couple times during the story. Um, many times you'll kind of find yourself flying through these big nebulas, um, like big sp- clouds that obscure your vision. And a couple times during the story, you'll be flying through these big clouds and um, you'll be like, I wonder where we are. And then suddenly there'll be this like almost like lightning flash where you'll see the silhouette of these huge ships approaching you from the other direction and it gives this really cool like ominous feeling uh, and fear I-, I thought it was awesome yeah i know what you're talking about it is it is quite nice when you emerge from nebulas the the way you transfer in and out of them is um yeah it feels quite impactful yeah i yeah i, I like the way it looks um we already did sound like music and voice acting um and the only thing left in sound is really i guess sound effects um and then that's about it right yeah and um basically pew pew laser pretty good yes yeah, uh that's all I that's my to... main comments on sound i i think um i think it does a good job uh the dog fights yeah like what i think my favorite times in the dog fights is when it was just complete chaos, chaos. yeah when it was just 
uh, when you had allies fighting with you and there's just particle effects going everywhere and there's lasers and missile noises going off. And people and are screaming I across think, the radio, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, people yeah. scream across the radio and it feels great. It's easy to understate the difficulty of making that kind of, you know, complete madness sing in harmony, but it does sing in harmony and it's... Uh, it's wonderful to be in the midst of the bo- of a dogfight surrounded by all that noise, but it still makes coherent sense. So I-, I think they did a really good job with the sound effects. Yeah, I agree. Um, I love the sound of the boosters, as I said before. Um, and I actually mm. really love the sound. The- when you complete a mission objective, this text appears at the top of the screen and it's got this sound effect that I found like <laughs> extremely cathartic near the end of the game because it either meant I'd done a good job or, you know, something good had happened. And, it, you know, it just it brought joy to me every time I heard it. See, it brought joy to me because it sounds when um when you've got enough net worth for the, to get a for, new mission. <laughs> to yeah. get a new mission. So I was like, thank <laughs> God I'm done with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. So. I guess that brings us to our final conclusions. And Patrick, I'm actually really interested to hear your um your overall feelings on this one because we had a lot of a lot of ping ponging between good or bad um with Freelancer. It's a weird game to give a final review on because the thing about Freelancer is that there were plenty of times in the moment to moment gameplay where I actually was enjoying myself, like I was enjoying the story and I was enjoying shooting other ships. And I'd be flying through space, listening to music and enjoying the music. However, interspersed in those simple, joyful experiences is hours and hours of pointless padding that almost makes me angry at how empty this is. Like I got, like I said before, I got No Man's Sky vibes from the emptiness and soullessness of this world. And the way it continually wasted my time. So the truth is, from my point of view, would I recommend playing this game today as a vanilla game? Absolutely not. I I think it wastes too much of your time with these empty, pointless side missions. And I think that while I had fun at certain points while playing it, that it was ultimately a simple sort of fun. It wasn't like... I'm having a deep and meaningful experience that makes it worth going through these less enjoyable moments. It was more like I was just alternating between times where I was having fun and times where I was hating life and hating myself for starting this podcast in the first (laughs) place. That all being said, I do want to point out that there is a huge modding community for Freelancer and it is entirely possible with the correct suite of mods installed that this becomes a good game. Now, I I don't know what those mods are or what combination of mods will be needed to bring this galaxy to life, but I have a feeling it must exist. Like, there must be some magic combination that, that brings this game alive. Otherwise, if there's a mod that just cut that all and gave you, like, the three to five hour experience of just the main mission, that would also be something that I could get on board. But this game, as it exists in its vanilla state, is a game that I cannot recommend. Um, It doesn't cross the bar for me. The good is pretty, you know, is decent, and I had an all right little time with it, but there's no way that that's time is, you know, is worth sitting through the hours of pain I had to deal with. Yeah, so that's kind of where I thought you would land on Freelancer. For me, 
I didn't hate the freeform missions as much as you did because I said before, like I really enjoyed the like the optimization level of that. So because of that, I'm a lot higher on this game than you are. I overall enjoyed the story and I really liked the combat and I liked the optimization aspects of it. The game is very accessible for a game as old as it is. Uh, it looks really nice and it sounds really nice still. So overall, I'm actually giving this one a recommend just. Um, I agree with Patrick. Like, I reckon there is a suite of mods out there that would make this game overall a great experience up from like a pretty good one. Um, but, you know, the vanilla game has a lot of flaws, which we've discussed on the show, but... In terms of my overall enjoyment, I, you know, there was never a point in this game where I was hating my life, and there was a lot of points in this game where I was having a lot of fun, mostly, uh, you know, lost in that dogfighting chaos or cruising through this wondrously beautiful looking galaxy. And honestly, the number one reason why I think this game is an easy recommend is because it's absolutely free, um, <laughs> you know, like, I think that's a huge thing. It's a free game that's the perfect entry point for anybody looking to get into this kind of like dogfighting flight sim style game so yep i think freelancer was great um and if you have any interest in flight sims then this is the one to start with i agree that free is a pretty good asking price for this um <laughs> for this game that that does edge definitely edge it towards um give it a try i i guess if you've if it's possible that the grinding stuff won't bother you as much, then it being free makes it pretty pretty worthy giving a try to see if it clicks with you. But on the on the basis of it being a video game, yeah, I can't in good conscience recommend it. Sure. So um, that's that's our opinions, um, and I guess that brings us to the wrap up. Um, so thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us espouse our opinions today. It's been a pleasure to have you as always. Um, we are the Retrospectives podcast. We uh, review retro games and tell you if they're still worth playing today. You can find all of our content at rspodcast.net. Not only do we have many, many episodes on many, many old games, 36 in fact, we also have lots of articles that I've written over, over the past year and a half, usually related to the games I've been playing, although there are one or two oddball ones in there as well yeah, most so recently well. <laughs> uh yeah most recently i uh wrote a review of system shock so if you would like to experience my opinion free of uh james and our special guest nick's opinion you can just read my review and get the ultimate truth on the value of system shock nick and i came down kind of harshly on this game which patrick disagreed with to such a strong extent <laughs> that he uh he wanted only his opinion to count <laughs> exactly i'll start my own opinion with hookers and blackjack <laughs> blackjack yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah we'd love if you drop by um most important of all, though, um, our favorite community thing that we've got going is a community Discord server. On said Discord server, we argue about our opinions and discuss lots all of arguments. Of, yeah, <laughs> lots of arguments about every subject under the sun. Um, usually video games, though, and um, we discuss old games, new games, everything in between. If you have a suggestion for a game for James and I to play, or if you just want to tell us exactly why our opinions are wrong, we'd love to have you drop on by. So uh, because James chose Freelancer for this Fortnite's episode, uh, the pendulum has swung back to me, and I'm going very retro with this one. The game I've decided to play for next Fortnite is Castlevania, the original one. 
So we've previously covered Castlevania Symphony of the Night on this show very early on. It was at episode four. And James and I both thought it was excellent. Not not a flawless experience, but, you know, it, it's really shocking. Yeah. yeah, it's unbelievable how good that game is and how much it stood the test of time. It's no Hollow Knight, but it's, it's good. <laughs> uh, so uh, I wanted to go back to the original Castlevania, and I think it's going to be an interesting experience because unlike a lot of people, I haven't really played any platformers of this era except for... Sonic, which we did a few episodes ago. And I know that Castlevania is highly revered as one of those brilliant platformers. So I really want to see if it's worth playing today. Yeah, and it's a very it's gonna be a very different experience to Castlevania uh, a very different experience to Symphony of the Night from my understanding, because you know, this game this series started off more platformy and, you know, side scrolling combat than this kind of Metroidvania exploration that it morphed into mm. later. So I'm very interested to see um if the people whose opinions online um are correct and that this old style is better <laughs> i'm kind of worried that it's going to be just really hard like because oh, I've, I've, be. <laughs> I've, I've heard the phrase you know nintendo hard you know thrown out like i know it's not a nintendo game but it's from that era and i'm worried that you know this supposedly two to three hour game is going to take me 10 hours to get through so uh we may dip into the old save states if uh if needed <laughs> to help me well help me i get through. would like to not be a complete scrub but i know i probably <laughs> will be but I'll, uh, we'll find I'll see out how thing, i go yeah <laughs> yeah so thank you once again everyone for listening and uh we'll see you next fortnight for castlevania see you later see ya